Hey, moms, dads, and grandparents. This is Sandra Beck from Military Mom Talk Radio, and I know how hard it is to provide a great education for military kids. K-12 believes every child is uniquely brilliant. So to prepare them for college and succeed beyond high school, they deserve an education designed just for them. Learn more at k12.com front slash grade about enrollment. A child's brilliance comes in many forms. Some are curious, others inventive, some are analytical. K-12 is a full-time, tuition-free, online option to traditional public school. Taught by state-certified teachers, schools powered by K-12 provide an individualized education, enhancing your child's ability to succeed. K-12 programs teach to and embrace your child's unique brilliance. Students from K-12-powered schools go on to fine colleges and universities, enhancing their ability to succeed in life. Be part of the community of families who have succeeded with a tuition-free online K-12 education. K-12 welcomes students from grade K to 12. Visit k12.com front slash grade or call 855-628-9531 for more information about enrolling. That's k12.com front slash grade. Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with 3 million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Military Mom Talk Radio is sponsored in part by K-12. No matter where our military families are, K-12 enhances your child's ability to succeed. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, military moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we've got a really cool show today, Rob. I'm so excited. We're going to be talking about perfectionism. You know, with any event, I mean, no matter how big it is or how small it is, you want anything to everything to go smoothly. And I think it's okay to say, you know what, one thing didn't go right. And we'll have to talk to Dr. Suzanne about this because I think we get so uh, tied up with things being just just right, just perfect, that when something does kind of falter a little bit, then rather than say, okay, and let go of that one falter, we're not enjoying the other things that are the positive of whatever the event is. Oh, absolutely. You know, and there's like a weird flip side, you know, because in some spots of my life, I'm a huge perfectionist. Like I want things just so, especially like in Mm -hmm. my cooking or, you know, in certain things with my business, they have to be just so, or I'm really, really, you know, just like Napoleon stomping around, you know, the office. (laughs) You know, but then there's the good side of perfectionism, you know, that I see in the Olympics, you know, like people are striving and striving and striving to do their best, 
But then there's that that kind of wall you hit, like, if it's not perfect, why do it at all? And that's like, I shift, I'm like a race car with three gears. I'm like, perfectionism, perfectionism, <laughs> why do anything at all? Like, oh, well, you know, we can achieve this, hope, hope, hope. Perfectionist means, you know, and it just, it's exhausting. It is. You know, there's got to be a balance. Obviously, a brain surgeon has to be working with the most perfection. <laughs> he can't say, oh, well, it's close enough and, and just go at it. But then on the other hand, um, you know, there are other things that have to let go. And I think we as moms have to remember that we have so many hats that we have to wear. And as much as we want to be do the best we can with every single aspect of our lives, whether we're splitting ourselves between parenting and business and, and um, being a good spouse or partner um, and still being able to do some of the other things, there's got to be some give and we've got to let ourselves be human sometimes. And, and so um, I think that's what Dr. Suzanne will definitely help us balance is to find the best way to, to not drive yourselves crazy because, boy, you sure can. <laughs> well, it's really easy because, you know, perfection depends a lot on, like, perception and what your expectation is. You know, like, yes. I always talk to my, my Air Force girlfriend down the street from me, and, you know, she has four kids with celiac disease, all boys, very active. Oh, gosh, yep. You know, she's full-time working mom. Her husband's full-time, and, you know, they have to deal a lot with, public services, you know, in the military services like I do, you know, and it's, it's really frustrating because you find that you have to like ratchet back expectations. You have to pull back, you know, what you know is right. And that Mm -hmm. I think is the hardest thing for me. Like in my heart and mind, I know something's wrong and it needs to be changed without a shadow of a doubt. And I will die for that belief. But then I go through the court system, the, you know, the police system, the welfare system and trying to change something that's such an obvious wrong. And you can't and you're completely powerless and it's really hard in those situations. And, you know, my military girlfriend down the street is having the same thing because she's wading through all sorts of red tape with, you know, between benefits and treatments for her kids. And Mm. I know our systems are meant to do their best, Mm -hmm. but when you're somebody who does their best every day and you show up and you do what you're supposed to do and these systems in place let you down it's like, it's not even perfectionism. It's like, what next? And, you know, so that perfectionism, it can be for not only ourselves and our own personal achievements, but when you join the military and you, you have to participate in any of the social structures that are in place for your family, Mm -hmm. it's really, really difficult. And I know my perfectionist girlfriends, you know, who are military wives, they just go bananas. Oh, I'm sure. Because like you say, this is beyond our control. There are certain things in our lives that we can control. There's a certain amount of things in our lives that we can impact. And then there are those things in our lives that we just can't do anything about. We can try. And like you say, you you do your darndest to just hang in there and and fight for what you think is right. But uh, it's so hard when you just feel like you're losing a battle in one element and and I hope that Dr. Suzanne can sort of give us those little tips on how we can stay strong on those elements and feel more success in the elements we can control. 
Well, and the one thing that I would love to talk to Dr. Suzanne about, you know, when we have her on, because I know, Rob, you've called me on the carpet a few times in a very gentle and loving way about (laughs) learning to let go. Because, you know, when you're somebody like me who's made their success in life, and, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think of so many of my Marine wife friends, they are so tough, Rob, they are so strong, and they just dig their heels in and claw their way through, you know, whatever needs to be done. And that tenacity is what we love about our, especially about our Marine Corps. Of course. That doesn't translate well into letting go. Like, even as Mm -hmm. a little girl, my dad would always say, oh my gosh, Sand, you're like a dog that won't give up the bone. And I'm like, ah, 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 ah. But that's also a key component of success. You, you know, it's not as simple as just, you know, oh, San, relax. Well, okay, my brothers and sisters were in town for my dad's 80th birthday last weekend. And I realized that I am the least high strung of like seven people. And I was sitting in the living room. We were watching, um, I don't know what we were watching. Oh, we were watching the Super Bowl. And in there were, were, I'm not kidding you, Rob, like nine engineering degrees and me. <laughs> I'm and, sorry you know, to laugh. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. Like my oldest brother, I was telling my one friend, Mark, I said, my oldest brother, you know, gave an itinerary of who's picking up who, who's staying where, who's staying in whose room, you know, and he, you know, I realized like, you know, being from a family of engineers and being me, a non-engineer, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I have perfectionism on the low level end of Mm -hmm. these, you know, precise individuals. And, you know, you put everybody together in a room and you expect them, you know, to make a chip and dip platter. It's, It's easier said than done. Yeah, it sure is. And then we get into that whole personality type. If you've got somebody who's very type A and very inflexible, that's really hard to get someone to say, all right, this path isn't going to work, but that one is. If that wasn't, <laughs> if they weren't going to be flexible to do whatever, that's that's really hard for that person to, to, uh, to bend and be able to find the different path. It, well, it's, it's sometimes it's just chip and dips, but sometimes we're talking life issues and that's really hard. It is. Well, and you know, it's, it's also ingrained in our learning system because in preparation for this show, Rob, you know, I always turn to Max and Zach, my kids who are seven sure. and 10, because they're really funny and they, you know, they, sometimes they just say things and I'm like, duh, well, that's obvious. <laughs> And one of the things that my son Max said, who's 10, you know, he got a perfect score on his math state exam and got all these awards for it. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, mom, he's like, every time there's a big test coming up, every time he goes, you send me two messages. And he didn't say it that way, but he's like, you tell me to do two different things. And I said, what is that? And he's like, he's like, well, you say I'll get a gold star, you know, if I get a perfect grade. And then you say, well, just do your best. Oh, interesting. I, oh, I know. I totally got called on the carpet on that one because I couldn't I couldn't say anything. And he's like, which is it? Do you want me to get an A or do you want me to just do my best? Because he's like, sometimes my best isn't an A. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he says that's confusing to me. And so I just gave him a, um, one of those ice cream pre-made ones, you know, that are in the refrigerator and told him to go watch SpongeBob. <laughs> Oh, I think we have to be human to our kids every so often, and that's probably one of them. You know what, Max? You're right. And <laughs> thank you for pointing that out to me. What What do you feel better doing? <laughs> right, right, right. You just tell me. You become the parent, you know. But he was right. You know, we do socially condition our kids, you know, to get awards for being perfect. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And then we turn around and go, well, do your best. Mm -hmm. It's very true. It's very, very true. Well, Dr. Suzanne Phillips is going to be joining us shortly. Uh, We've got a break coming up, San. And um, we have Dr. Suzanne coming on. She is uh, a very uh, highly noted psychologist, psychoanalyst. Um, She is the author of three books and over 20 articles. And most recently, she co-authored Healing Together, A Couple's Guide to Coping with Trauma and Post-Traumatic Stress. Join us in just a moment with Dr. Suzanne Phillips. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginhead.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. traditional American breakfast, including fried egg, bacon, toast, and potatoes, must seem really heavy to the rest of the world. When my husband and I were in the Amazon, our breakfast consisted of crocodile, deep-fried piranha, and bananas. I can assure you, I ate pretty lightly. For breakfast in Russia, some people enjoy a spoonful of jam in their tea. Now that sounds yummy. What's a word for a person who loves jam? A paziwala. What's another word for weak tea? Whack rowdy dow. Salamagundi was originally an English dish of chopped meat, anchovies, and eggs, garnished with onions, lemon juice, oil, and condiments. Mornings at our house are too hectic to go to all that trouble for breakfast. I'm scrambling just to get some eggs on the table. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I am here with Robin Boyd, and we are welcoming Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and our topic today is perfectionism. And Rob, I loved our opening uh Uh, opening uh, segment where we talked about perfectionism on both the parent and the child, Mm. you know, and working within, you know, the military system and the structures and, you know, things that, you know, when do you dig your heels in and when don't you? Uh, But I'd like to open with uh, Dr. Suzanne Phillips getting her take on what uh, my son Max uh, said. Hi, Dr. Suzanne. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. 
Oh, you know, I got to tell you, my kid stumped me this week when I was researching perfection. And I asked him, you know, a little bit about that because he did get a perfect score on his state math exam, which was a great accomplishment for him. But he said to me, you know, mom, he said, you always tell me two things. And he's like, you tell me, you know, to get a perfect score, you know, get a gold star, get, you know, a hundred percent. And he's like, and then you turn around and tell me, well, just do the best you can. And he's like, that's really confusing. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I told Robin, I gave him an ice cream and told her to watch SpongeBob. Because I knew I could ask you later. Okay. But does perfectionism, do we teach our kids to be perfectionists or do they grow that way? Well, you know, there are some people who talk about the difference between adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism. And it's kind of a little bit, uh, play on words, but maybe it'll it'll help in this sense. When we talk about adaptive perfectionism, and I, I see it more as the you know the drive to achieve to um, and to enjoy it along the way. But when we're talking about adaptive perfectionism, we're really talking about the ability to perform well with an acceptance of making mistakes, not having to be perfect all the time. Because maladaptive perfectionism means you have got to be perfect to feel okay. This is the type of kid who, if he really is learning the problems in math, can't catch on to it quickly, that's it. He's not turning in the paper. Or if, in fact, he had only scored in the 98th percentile, you were unhappy or he was unhappy. You know, the kind of destructive perfectionism that we really want to move away from because actually in the end it really impairs performance, achievement, passion, and an enjoyable life. The kind that we want to move away from is when we make perfection the criteria for being emotionally okay, for being loved, for being someone's friend, for being someone's spouse. Those are kinds of the differences. I'm listening with so intently uh, in that I, having been in a, in educators' shoes, um, there are. Max is exactly right. There are so many times that we're trying to encourage kids to do their their best, and it is almost um, a self imposed um, race, I guess you could say, because when we it's very difficult for parents not to compare their Mm -hmm. children it's very difficult for us as adults not to compare well gee if this one can do can excel in this why can't I if this one can can get the raise in at the job why can't I if this one got uh, promoted why can't I and it's very very difficult for us to be able to find what's the right path for us individually Well, when we're talking about only looking at end results, we're usually wiping out the journey and the joy. Um, I'll talk about my own kids for a minute. They They were high performers in different ways and very good athletes, but they actually, they for instance, in basketball, they loved basketball. So what did that mean? Well, you know, I didn't come from, I came from an all-female home, and now I was in the middle of an all-male home, only boys, <laughs> only basketballs, the whole deal. But I think we, we wanted them to do well, but we also watched that they loved it. 
that every three minutes there was a basketball under their arm and they were so close in age and every other boy in town we had a full basketball court in our yard was here. I think that's different than, in fact, if we needed them to do that. Because mm-hmm. at any point, um, for instance, a coach said to my oldest son, play lacrosse, he tried it, he didn't like it. My younger son, they also pushed to play it. And I'd go to the field to pick him up, and he wouldn't be playing. He'd be sitting on the side. Now, this was someone who ran, like, a town race when he was five years old. So I knew. I thought, what could it be? I said, mm. Chris, everybody wants you to play lacrosse. You're such a speedster. What, what do you think? He goes, I hate this game. I said, oh, okay. Why? Do you, do you understand? He said, Mom, I don't like wearing this thing on my face. I can't see who anyone else is. I, they don't see who I am. I, I just want to play basketball. So that was it. Now, so I guess I'm saying this in the way that children who excel in things, they were math kids. Nobody could spell. Only I could spell. All right. So I think with children, if they excel in something and if they enjoy doing it, you've got to hit. If they are doing it only for you, it will burn out at some point. I think competition is a wonderful thing. I think, and, and you know, we've all been parents on the lines. There are parents who are, they are taking the game so seriously, they're yelling, and they're in a bad mood if the kids lose. We're all the rest of us thinking, okay, we all had a good time. Next time, we know this team. So that I, I actually think we have to decide whose expectation it is and what's mm-hmm. the downside of the child's involvement with the process. There's one family I know, the child's a piano, he's a prodigy. He loves playing the piano. He does not seem to feel at all like he's being deprived of playing other things. He loves the other kids who are musical. That's him. Now, if he was in a family where they're all playing football and they were forcing him to do that or dismissing his joy of music, that wouldn't be a good fit. That would mean he couldn't be his authentic self. So, I mean, I think, and one of the things I wrote about is when you you want the person to be passionate and curious. I think those are much better traits than trying for the perfectionism. Because the kid who really loves writing, she really just keeps writing poems. She just loves it. There's a very good chance she's going to get an A in English and probably be very successful in that field. If the kid's doing it because she's got to get an A in everything, it can't work. I think there's so many challenges that we as adults have uh, habits, I guess you could say, have learned, and it's very difficult to unlearn them. Mm-hmm. And I think it, what I kind of wanted to steer our conversation toward is some of the challenges that we as adults face that we may have thought we conquered as as children. For example, if somebody has an injury or somebody has uh, a change in their life, that uh, adapting to that and feeling as though we are becoming successful, it could be losing weight. It could be um, uh, stopping an addiction. It could be learning to walk on a prosthetic limb. It could be learning to begin again after losing a loved one. I think those are the things um, we. I'd love to sort of get into a little bit of a conversation with that kind of adaptive um, uh, flexibility or acceptance um, as adults. Okay. I think that um, 
there's always a timeline with any of these situations from the injury, the event, to at some point coming to be one with it. I think that's true of our injured vets. That's true of elderly people. But one of the things that I always invite people to do, and often we don't think of this at the time of the injury, is to consider what what, what resiliency traits they actually have that they could bring forth to help them regulate their anxiety, think about how they're going to pursue things. Now, for instance, when we talk about resiliency traits, we're usually talking about intellect, being intellectual, having you know the ability to problem solve, social skills, being able to make friends in an elevator, being very, very comfortable calling somebody and using them as, re, as a resource, as well as giving and taking for some people spirituality, for some people musical ability, artistic ability, athletic ability, Curiosity underscores all of those. Einstein says his main trait was not brilliant. It was curiosity. Mm. So I would say, and I'll think of times of being injured myself when the question was, how am I going to tolerate not running for eight months? Mm -hmm. How will Mm -hmm. I tolerate this? And it was reminding myself, okay, you swim. You've got to figure a way to find a pool and swim because you're going to substitute one for the other. Or I will say to people, and I did this myself, what were you, what did you postpone doing that you loved when you were all over the place and running and training and all of that? And it had to do with more writing and it had to do with reading. So that one of the things, one of the things I'm saying to people is see what in fact your resiliency can do for you in facing this hardship or this change in your life. If for instance, you can't now drive yourself somewhere. Are you going to be able to reach for a group of friends that are going to step up and help you? In which case, you may find that the six months or the eight months that you were not driving turned out to be a very social time. Mm. If you now are going to have to use a prosthesis, what I would say, and I say to my patients all the time, and I used to say it to my kids, I say it to myself, when in doubt, if you're anxious about something new, be curious. How the heck is this going to work? Am I actually going to be able to um, get around with a prosthesis so that I'm as independent as I want? I heard that you can train dogs. Should I get mm. a companion dog <laughs> to help me with this? So in other Dr. words, Dr. Yep. Suzanne, I'm curious on the other side of the break to take this further. We're okay. with Dr. Suzanne Phillips. We've got a break coming up. Dr. Suzanne has worked, published, and presented nationally and internationally, and we are so fortunate to have her with us for this hour. We'll be back in a moment on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. 
Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck Boyd and our guest today is Dr. Suzanne Phillips and our topic today is perfectionism both in children and adults and we're going to specifically talk this second half of the show about adapting to a new normal. Many of our military families have to become adept very quickly at adapting to a new normal and this could be an adaption to a new base, a new location. They could have a PCS move. You could have to adapt to a new country. You, as a family, have to adapt when your family member goes on deployment. You have to adapt again when they come home. Change is such a big part of the military family. And our our perfectionism, our estimations of what things should be can really affect how we adapt to our new normal. Now, for those of you that missed the first half of the show, I'd like you to check us out on iTunes under Military Mom Talk Radio. You can also reach us at our host station out of Texas, which is toginet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com, or you can check us out in over 150 hours of free military family-friendly programming provided to you by Military Mom Talk Radio at our .com by the same name. Now, let's get back to Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and we were talking about adapting. And uh, Dr. Suzanne, we've had a lot of shows in the past that talk about it's so important to adapt to the new normal, accept Mm -hmm. your new normal. And I can tell you that sounds really easy, but in practice, it can be a big challenge. And for somebody like me, you know, Robin and I have had many discussions about having to adapt. I've had to adapt to a single lifestyle, had to adapt to the loss of my mother, adapt to a new environment, a new state, things like that. And I didn't do it really well because I had trouble letting go. And I talked to a lot of my military friends who have to adapt a lot and they say, oh, well, you get better at it the more you do it. But nobody could give me any really good tips about how do you let go and embrace the new normal? Okay, uh, big question. Well, there's a few things that come to mind when, when we think of it, because it, it's funny, we, we, many people do use that. One of the reasons, and maybe this, this relates, that one of the, one of the um, obstacles is exactly what you say, Sandy, and that is change is very difficult, and change when it's imposed, when it wasn't chosen, often feels even harder to deal with. One of the things we assume often incorrectly is that change is going to be for the worse. And what we've seen even with trauma is, and post-traumatic growth is, unbeknownst to us, sometimes the change we fought the most and resisted the most was really quite a gift. I say to people sometimes, this is the journey from, oh, my God, to thank God. And it's a strange one, but the only way that one can get to the thank God is patiently walking it and slowly accepting the new normal. Now, sometimes 
people, all of us do just what you say. There's a yearning. People will say to me, I want the life I had. I want my partner back. Um, I want to live where I used to live. Now, that's real, and it's terrific to share it. But if you keep your eye behind you on the past, you will not know the road in front of you. So I say to people, we usually have a road in which we've got to mourn a little bit about what changed and what we lost, but we've got to keep looking forward because we really don't know what the new normal is going to bring. Now, sometimes we're thrust into new roles, whether from deployment, from injury, from the loss of a parent, the loss of a spouse, and the thought is, oh, my God, I know very well what this is. This is a nightmare. I've got, I'm a single parent, I got a, I've got to work, I've got kids. And so usually that creates a great deal of anxiety. And that's where I would say one of the best things that we need for the new normal is regulating our anxiety. And one thing that I say to people and I use is what I call working solutions. There's an urge to think, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What's the answer? Very rarely, and this is a problem in the corporate world, does someone shout out the brilliant, perfect, going-to-work answer. It seems that the way we think and the way things unfold is to keep saying to your kids, yourself, your partner, the other women in, in the group who are working with you, let's, try, let's come up with a working solution with the idea we're going to revisit it and then tune it fine-tune it. And I think that often works with children. It works with seniors. So often I would um, plan something with my mom, who was, who was very elderly. I, um, she's, she's deceased at this point, that I thought was perfect. And when I got there, nope, not going to work at all. But a version of it could work. So same thing with an injury. You think you could try something, going to work. Not quite, but a little bit of it works. So one thing to regulate anxiety is think about working solutions. Um, also think about creativity. I, I think that, I remember this, you may have heard of the mom who, she had two sons, her husband was deployed, and the thought was, oh my God, the dinners are going to be a nightmare. And then they came up with um, dinner with the um, morons, um, the, the morons, the funny morons family every night. And they invited the chaplain, and they invited local politicians, and they invited everyone and every, everything. And that they could think of, and the local paper started carrying what it was like to have dinner with this family. So thinking outside of the box is another way to sometimes deal with the new normal. The, the piece about mourning the past is often very important for kids. If every time a kid says, but I do wish Daddy was still here, or I do wish we still lived near that schoolyard, I think we have to give people room to put words to that. I think if we can say, I do miss that schoolyard, or I miss him too, or I miss when we're on that base, I think we allow a very normal feeling, which is that in life we're very often mourning things as we are being enriched by new things. This sort of brings up a perspective that actually my husband Steve and I uh, just talked about the other day. Over the weekend I had to go to a funeral, the loss of a, a young girl, 13 years old, to cancer. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that 
my husband's point of view was it's got to be so hard for the family to be strong for the other children in the family. And I said, I, I rather disagree in that it's all right, I think, for parents to have some humanity, that parents can express their sadness to help the children know that it's okay to have these feelings without getting like over overly consumed with them and i'm sure that this would take place in many instances if either there was an injury or there was a move that you can't do anything about that it, it, and should the parents remain really really strong and and not show a tear and not show a cry or should they sort of express to their children you know i'm feeling this way too and is that part of helping children learn how to mourn well, the second is really what I would align with. In fact, what we call it is when, well, when if there is a death of a sibling, or um, we call it disenfranchised grief, meaning uh-huh. children read parents very quickly. If nobody's talking about the loss of a sister, the loss of, of a grandma, the loss of some change, daddy's injury, that means they're not going to talk about it. That means they carry it, and we say what's not the unspoken outs itself in some way, be it as a physical symptom, a problem in school, their own depression. So I'm with you in that we've got to make room. I mean, I worked with so many groups of 9-11 moms who dad was gone, and they, we talked about can you cry in front of the children. We talked about that being fine. We talked about it's okay to cry, it's okay to miss, it's okay to write down things you remember about dad, and it's also okay to laugh. So mm-hmm. that I, I would agree that we can't have parents disown their parental role in the grief state of having lost one of their children. On the other hand, everybody's got to be able to grieve openly and know that grieving's not incompatible with going on. Well, I'm going to back you up there like 100%, um, Suzanne, because, you know, when my mother died, she was very sick for five years with cancer, and my kids were in and out of the hospital with me. They saw her lose her hair. They saw her come home and recover from, you know, her mastectomy, then her other mastectomy. And one of the things that I saw, and I will never forget this, is that I was driving in the car one day shortly after my mom died, and I I was thinking about my mom, and I was so sad, and I was driving, you know, so there was just like, you know, tears rolling down my face while I concentrated on driving, and my kid in the back seat looked up in the the rearview mirror, and he saw, he's like, Mommy, Mommy, are you okay? And all I said was, you know, I was just thinking about Grandma, and I'm sad, that's all. And the it. relief on his mm-hmm. face, because I swear he thought he did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't yep. know if that's what kids do, but if I explain to my kids, look, I miss grandma or I'm sad, like on Christmas Day, I'll be a little sad. Or I'll tell them ahead of time, grandma's birthday's coming up, we're going to make a cake. And I said, mommy's probably going to cry because that's what she does. Mm-hmm. You know, and when they know what's going on, it takes the fear out of it. That's just what I saw from my experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's Mm -hmm. called making meaning, and it's also called being human. And the next step to it, which I think is so precious because it's true of little ones as well as big ones like mine, is that the fact that at times we give them an opportunity to step up and put their arm around us is a gift to them Mm -hmm. because it empowers them at a time when people are feeling helpless or like, what do we do? So, you know, I see my big guys were supporting me when I lost my mom in such a precious way. 
But I think that's the gift your little guy had and that's the gift they had, that they actually can make a difference in soothing us a little bit. I agree. That's so perfect. We're talking today with uh, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Uh, She is an author. She is a um, media person. Suzanne, we'll talk on the other side of the break uh, where people can find you and hear more about you. And we're so glad that you're with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. Um, Again, find us uh, all of our shows. We've had Dr. Suzanne on before, so you'll certainly want to check out some of our past shows that we've had with Dr. Suzanne. Suzanne on iTunes and at Military Mom Talk Radio. And on the other side, we'll talk just a little bit more about our our discussion on perfectionism. And it is so difficult sometimes to let go. And what we're doing right now is finding the best path to help us on our way to our new normal. Um, Dr. Suzanne, we'll catch you on the other side of the break. We'd love to hear from you. Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our shows are available on iTunes anytime from 0-100 hours to 23:59. For now, stay right where you are. There's more Military Mom Talk Radio after these messages. moms, dads, and grandparents. This is Sandra Beck from Military Mom Talk Radio, and I know how hard it is to provide a great education for military kids. K-12 believes every child is uniquely brilliant, so to prepare them for college and succeed beyond high school, they deserve an education designed just for them. Learn more at k12.com front slash grade about enrollment. A child's brilliance comes in many forms. Some are curious, others inventive, some are analytical. K-12 is a full-time, tuition-free, online option to traditional public school. Taught by state-certified teachers, schools powered by K-12 provide an individualized education, enhancing your child's ability to succeed. K-12 programs teach to and embrace your child's unique brilliance. Students from K-12-powered schools go on to fine colleges and universities, enhancing their ability to succeed in life. Be part of the community of families who have succeeded with a tuition-free online K-12 education. K-12 welcomes students from grade K to 12. Visit k12.com front slash grade or call 855-628-9531 for more information about enrolling. That's k12.com front slash grade. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. 
We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and our guest today is Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and we are talking about how to adjust to a new normal, how to let go, how perfectionism gets in our way, a uh, whole lots of things, but they're all intertwined. Um, Dr. Suzanne, I would love to get your take on um, how is it that we can know that something's wrong. Cause like years ago, Robin said to me, Sam, you know, I love you, but you know, you need to work on letting some of this go. And I didn't know that at the time. And it was really great advice. I'm so proud of Robin for, for being a good friend and telling me what she thought. So I could, I could identify like, cause you can't know what you don't know. I knew I was suffering. I knew I was frustrated, but I didn't know what was wrong. Do you have any like tips or anything to help us identify, you know, when we need to reach out for help or when we need to make changes, you know, whether it's adaptive or have to do with our own perfectionist or our kids, how do we know when something's wrong? Okay. So just as a first step, um, we say you always work from the body out. So sometimes our body, they say we need, when when, when the, you're, you're, some part of you keeps telling you something's wrong and you ignore it, eventually your body screams. So the first thing is we just take a look at body rhythms. How are you sleeping, eating? Are you doing things that you always liked and getting pleasure from it? Um, are you able to do something that absolutely takes you into a zone? Are you someone who always does a, um, a puzzle, a crossword puzzle? Do you have a stress-reducing um, ritual you do every day. So on a very first step basis, take a look at how you regulate stress and are you sleeping, eating, and are you focused on the moment or do you find yourself preoccupied? Do you keep making the wrong turn when you're driving? Do you find that you can't even quite listen to any music because you're so in your head or you're so agitated, nothing seems right? So sometimes there are self there's a self-observation that'll say, I'm off. I lost my keys five times. I've been in a, a fender bender. Something's not right. The other thing that I think allows us to take a look at it is exactly how do we feel when we wake up in the morning? Do you feel like, hey, I wonder what's going on today? Or, okay, it's a, or, oh, my God, another day. So what is your mood like when you start your day? Now, that takes into account there are morning people and night people. But the question is, existentially, what's your day like? The other thing I say to people are, are you able to take what I call healthy risks? Have you tried anything new? Um, we say that people who are able to take healthy risks are the, some of the happiest people. Have you met a new friend? Have you decided to try a new recipe? Have you thought that maybe you can be a little bit more creative in something? When you're really suffering, you don't have any energy to spare. Mm -hmm. You are literally make, trying to get through every day, trying to remember the keys, trying to get through to the laundry. So that would be my first answer, and that is self-observation on a number of levels, Sandy. And I think sometimes it, it's also some fear or denial because we don't want to think that we're not doing 
as good a job in our lives as we should be. Um, whether it means just going to a regular doctor for a checkup, and I have to raise my hand here, I've been guilty of that, or whether it means something a little bit more serious because sometimes we just can't get ourselves on that path. Um, and, and how do we get rid of that fear so that we can get ahead and, and go where we need to be going? Well, let's normalize it just like we did the grief for starters. If your life has changed and all of a sudden the unexpected has happened, which does, which has made us feel, feel like, hey, this is not a great scene, the, the oh my God feeling, the fact that you feel anxious or you feel you know somewhat off, A, makes sense. The question is, how are you going to normalize that, as we say, and move beyond it? One thing we do say, and you said it happened with you and Robin, the most endorsed intervention for someone when life changes suddenly is connection with their networks of support, their best friends, their work buddies, their brothers and sisters, etc. because those people know you. In the military, in the uniformed services, we often talk about buddy care. You can have a million psychologists and psychiatrists and disaster mental health workers. Mm-hmm. It's the person next to you that knows if you're off, because if you were the one who always told jokes and you're not telling them anymore, or you loved music and you haven't mentioned it, that person's going to know. So you use buddy care. You use networks of support. And then denial is, is big, but, you know, every time we do things like that, they're usually human attempts to deal with suffering. You don't want to believe, like, you're feeling as overwhelmed as you are. So we deny it, but it always outs itself because, I mean, I think of times when I've done that, I'm always lost or my keys are lost or something, or I put the cream cheese in a drawer and can't find it, and I know this is not working for you, Sue. So I think the self-observation and the invitation of feedback, just as you guys did from your networks of support, we think that sometimes just being in the company of people you love, doing not much of anything, is really a regulator of stress, and that you need a dose of that, maybe more than more than just a little dose of that when you go into hard times or new times. Well, and, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, uh, Dr. Suzanne. You know, this weekend I had my dad's 80th birthday party, and, you know, my mom has passed on and my family's back east, and, you know, they had already gone home. And so my girlfriends came over, and they all brought something for my dad, and it was cute. It was like popcorn, uh, you know, some turtles, you know, some taffy, you know, just something to brighten his day. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I felt more filled up, like, like spiritually and emotionally filled up inside. And yeah, I ate a lot of popcorn. So I was (laughs) physically filled up too. Um, (laughs) But I noticed that that was one of the first nights that I went to bed that I didn't have either like a headache or my jaw aches, because I have the floating phantom stress, like, if I notice I'm stressed and it's too much stress in my back, I'll stretch it out, but I don't deal with the solution. So it moves to my jaw or sometimes I'll <laughs> chew on the side of my mouth. You know, I have really probably to me, they seem like weird indicators, but I know I have certain physical things I do mm-hmm. when I'm under anxiety or stress. Okay. But the biggest one that I noticed that I do, and I think a lot of people do it, is I withdraw. And mm-hmm. it was so long since I had been together with these four or five okay. girls who live 
honest to God, you know, 20 feet away, one of them. There's no excuse. Our kids are the same age. And we all just sat in the room and laughed and talked. And my dad told silly stories about when I was a little girl. You know, it was nothing special, nothing expensive. But I felt so good. I felt so like like that love tank guy. You know why my love tank was all filled. But we don't do that. And by the time we do reach out for help, a lot of times we're so depleted. So I think one of the good meters and it might be opposite of what people think you should do is when you're really happy, take a minute and figure out why and go, okay, well, I'm going to do this again because this really filled me up. Cause I think sometimes we all focus on everything that depletes us. And I don't know if that makes any sense. It I'm not sure. It makes a lot of sense because if we, we say we, you know, focus on the positives and they're, they're like a, a little bit of guide guideposts along the way. But the point you said before that really needs to be underscored is there is a tendency right across the board to avoid when you're frightened, when you don't feel good, when you're depressed, when you're grieving. And it's okay to have private time, but I'll say to people, I've used it myself, I've suggested it to my kids, of course you don't feel like going to the party. You could always come home, just get there. You can always meet your friend for lunch and say, this is coffee because I'm really a little... Just get there. Inevitably, it's the experience you had, Sandy. People fill each other up. And uh, it's an important per- place. And some people, okay, if it's, you're not that much of a people person, let's suppose you're a pet person. I have encouraged people, just take your dog to the dog park. He needs it. I don't care if you talk to the other pet owners. Inevitably, it's a good thing. Just <laughs> get out and connect with whatever helps you connect, if you are not just a face-to-face person. Go to church. Go, go to a soup kitchen. Do something, even if you don't feel like it. Networks of connection, are they're important across the board for everything we're talking about, from easing perfectionism to the new normal to knowing when we're off or sad or unhappy and we need a little bit of a dose of friends. Dr. Suzanne, we're wrapping up the show. I can't believe the hour has flown. Um, Where can people find more about you? Okay, well, um, for one thing, um, I'm on the new site with Sandy Bouncing with Style. You'll see some of my blogs there. It's a beautiful site, Sandy. It is. Um, And my... My radio show, I'm hosting Psych Up on Casozo Radio. It's weekly. Um, just go to Psych Up on Casozo Radio. A really good podcast that's up now for women is why do women tend to overdrink when they hit some of these rough spots? And do they even realize they're doing it? It's a mm. really good show. Read any of my over 200 and blogs. I do love your um, your shows. They are just so insightful, and you have so many. Hello. And I do want to spell out, oops, I don't, I think my uh, feed kind of went out yeah. in and out there. I want to spell Casozo because that's C-O-Z-O-S-O. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Casozo. And is it dot com? C-O-S-O-Z-O. C-O-S-O-Z-O. Thank you. Okay. okay. <laughs> we had to and make sure we got that right. Suzanne Phillips, psych up. C-O-S-O-Z-O, however you spell it, you're going to come to the shows. Um, and we have had some, we've had some really fun guests, really interesting folks. Um, and the blogs, are, I think most people enjoy them. That's Healing Together um, on Psych Central. Again, just put in Suzanne Phillips, Healing Together on Psych Central, and the blogs will pop up. 
um, I tweet at Healing Number Four Couples, and my website where I post things and other presentations I've done is Healing Together for Couples. www Healing Together for Couples. You can contact me by email at psychup Suzanne Phillips at psychup at casozo.com. I look forward to speaking with you. I hope to be back on your wonderful show because I think you do a great job, ladies. Oh, Dr. Suzanne, thank you so much. Suzanne Phillips has been our guest today. Uh, By all means, check her out on all of those resources as well as Military Mom Talk Radio. We hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. Want more information? Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 200 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom Talk Radio.